Greetings, human beings. Hello, once again. Here we are. Thank you for joining us. Yep, more fun. More fun and frolics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we've got a special episode today. I got to interview Caitlin Durante, who you may know from the Bechdel cast, which is one of my favourite podcasts. It's all about the representation of women in film. Yeah, great interview. Um, I've had a little listen through the edit and um, some real nice chunks of uh, knowledge and insight. <laughs> yeah, so Caitlin also teaches screenwriting classes and that's what we're going to be talking about today is, is that process of screenwriting. And speaking of courses, I Ooh. heard that you had a course going. Did you? Did you hear that? <laughs> heard that somewhere. Yeah, I just launched my new business, Zen and the Art of Composing, which I'm mega excited about. Um, it's basically just involves all of the things that I'm really, really passionate about in one package. And uh, it's a course that I'm going to be running in, uh, in a couple of months time from now. So it is a combination of uh, different disciplines um zen meditation uh and my composition arrangement and uh production and essentially it's uh, a, a number of simple exercises that i have created to enhance creativity enhance flow and to give people the resources that they need to take their creative selves to the next level very exciting and sounds really inspiring and yeah I think we we could all use something like that to just help us motivate you know to to create and incorporate those practices into our routine and you know I think having someone there to kind of hold you accountable to the the creative goals that you set for yourself is really important it's great to have a, a, a work group, you know, I, I've had a couple of them myself and they have been very impactful um, to my life because you've got other people that are doing the same thing. It's hard in the creative industries. Um, there's so much rejection. Um, it's very, very um, tough discipline. Um, lonely. It's lonely. Uh, and you can just feel like um things aren't moving and and to have that sort of mirror and feedback from other people um can really sort of enhance your experience and 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 uh, boost morale mm, yeah and really you know benefiting from someone else who's done it already and has all those years of experience and have been through the same kind of blocks that you're trying to get through is just you know it'll just save you so much time and energy and and suffering i think yeah, and it and it applies to life as well. It, you, you know, I, that's the way that I see my art and my music. Is it's uh, it's really just a, a lens to see the world through. So um, techniques to de-stress and to open myself up for my work. You know, that's also in my life as well, right? Mm. Yeah, I'm sure you're going to learn so much from it as well. You know, I think teaching other people what you do is, is a great way to grow and learn yourself. So it's, yeah, everyone's going to benefit from that group. Exactly. Uh, you know, I, I already am uh, 
just from beginning to start conversations with people and to start to understand what it is that they are looking for you know it just gives me more insight and understanding about myself and about the things that um are valuable to others you know that that type of feedback loop is just so incredible for an artist you know it will go straight back into my work in numerous ways that i can't even fathom at this point wow well, i can't wait to hear all about it yeah check it out zen and the art of composing i'll put some pages up on online and uh if anyone's interested um i, I am running free one-to-one consultations so if you did want to just find out more information about it or if you wanted to talk to me on a on a zoom call about it um you know just get in touch yeah and there's also some great um great videos that you've made of uh you know example exercises um thank you on youtube thank you yeah i, I feel like i I've, I've pushed through some uncomfortable states to 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 create those those videos we did we did a video shoot uh, as a promo video <laughs> and it was so hard for me. Um, I, I just uh, had some self-sabotage stuff going on and just had my he- head in my hands. We did about 50 takes and it was like climbing a mountain. Um, but then after that day, um, I, the, the week after that, I went and just recorded some off-the-cuff videos for to you know with some of the techniques, five-day challenge um uh, meditation one and uh it was so easy and fun and flowy so mm. well that's what it's all about isn't it breaking through those uncomfortable places to get to the gold only on the other side right right that's what the course is is going to be promoting and, and going to be helping people with great well let's get on with the interview shall we yes indeed our guest today, Caitlin Durante, is a writer, comedian, and co-host of the hugely successful Bechdel cast, a podcast about the representation of women in film. As a stand-up, she has performed all over America, as well as the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. She teaches screenwriting workshops from her home in LA, drawing on her knowledge as a story analyst and script expert. We're very grateful to have Caitlin on the show to share some of her wisdom with us. loved movies it's been my favorite hobby since i was a kid uh to the point where i was like well maybe i should just go to school so many times and get multiple degrees in film 
really, really put all my eggs in one basket here career wise. (laughs) So, uh, I, uh, yeah, I got a undergrad degree in film and then a graduate degree in screenwriting famously from Boston university. I hate to mention it, but, uh, (laughs) but, um, so yeah, I, uh, but then I kind of didn't really do much with that for a few years after that. Uh, but I did start doing stand-up comedy and, but in, you know, continued to watch movies and appreciate film. Um, and, Shortly after college, I also started doing different internships, mostly reading scripts for production companies and some like screenwriting competitions. And I would write notes and then they'd like figure out if they wanted to pursue that script any further. Um, pretty common thing for like, a, um, basically they just like hire development interns and they're like, go through this slog of submissions and tell us if any of them are good. Um, and maybe they get paid these days, but they certainly didn't when I was doing it. So I did like years and years of unpaid script reading. Um, I was doing stand-up comedy this whole time and figured, Oh, that's just kind of be my, that that'll be my creative pursuit for a while. Cause I wasn't really writing scripts. Um, since then and then I was like you know what no I went I I love movies I want to be writing movies so then I was like let me get this master's degree in film um which was successful at motivating me to write while I was in school and then uh I still struggle with (laughs) motivation and accountability as far as writing goes uh since I finished that program But, uh, you know, we're all on our own (laughs) journey and doing things at our own pace. That's what I keep telling myself. So, uh, you know, I finished that program, uh, my my master's, um, was still doing comedy, had gotten a few jobs where I was actually like reading scripts uh, and getting paid for it. And at some point I was like, oh, I should take all this like background and, and knowledge and experience I have and start uh, doing something with it. So I, I um, started teaching screenwriting classes. I basically compiled my own curriculum and designed my own class and uh, started doing that a few years ago. And first like in person, and then I transitioned to like online classes even before the pandemic started. So it was a very easy, <laughs> in fact, no transition at all when the pandemic hit, because I was already set up to be teaching online classes. So that was very convenient. Um, And then uh, kept doing comedy and kept writing as much as I could and, you know, developed different projects that um, I still need to be doing more with, but isn't, ain't that the thing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's, that's the general, general background. I suppose like having a career now as a creative person and and building a brand, it involves so many different kind of branches of learning and doing. Mm -hmm. It's more rare now, isn't it, to have like a set career path that's just one step after another that's kind of predetermined. Right, especially for creative 
careers. Um, although that might be true for, you know, non-creative type work too, but, uh, yeah, it, it feel you just, you do have to kind of have your toes dipped in a bunch of different little <laughs> puddles. <laughs> Cause of course I started doing the Bechtel cast po- podcast, uh, five years ago. Uh, cause I was like, well, I'm a comedian in Los Angeles. That's the next logical step because uh, it's against the law to be a comedian without a podcast. So I uh, started doing that with Jamie Loftus. And um, obviously that's a film podcast and it's also, you know, comedic in tone. So I'm, you know, bringing in a lot of my other things into that. And yeah, it's, yeah, I just uh, have a lot of, little things and they're all related luckily so it's not hard to kind of jump from one thing to the next yeah and it kind of all comes together in the end doesn't it it sounds like you had just the perfect blend of experience and knowledge to get you where you are now to to the point where I've cultivated my life in such a way that my job is to watch and talk about movies and that's really all I do. <laughs> and I get paid for it. So that's pretty nice. You've made it. Made it. <laughs> yeah, I had a similar thing because I, I studied film and journalism because I kind of mm. knew that I loved film. I wanted to write about film, but it kind of, it never really goes how you think it's going to go. It's, it's yeah, no. unique <laughs> kind of path. <laughs> right. So I, I was wondering, um, with regards to writing screenplays, I know that on the Bechdel cast, you talk a lot about the Bechdel lens and like approaching mm-hmm. watching movies with that lens. So do you have that lens in place with writing as well? And do you kind of teach how to to put that lens on to your students? I do. Yeah, I, I didn't always use that lens per se um, in my earlier days as a as a youth. Um but I, al- I did always have an interest in portraying certain characters in a way that most movies don't, which is probably why I was inspired to, you know, start doing the Bechtel cast. But um, I, it wasn't until I started doing the podcast that I was like, oh, I really need to go back and examine some of my own writing. And I don't think I'd be <laughs> happy with myself to read some stuff I wrote in like 2013. Um, but I, I did like, for example, I wrote a, like an action comedy about, uh, like a pizza delivery guy who gets framed by the mob and has to like, you know, and hijinks ensue. Um, but I wrote that character as a very like kind and gentle man who like suffers from severe anxiety and uh which is not the character that you generally see as the star of like an action movie especially if it is a male protagonist um and then i wrote or developed a couple other features that were um you know, like female driven and uh, realized, oh, like, wow, there aren't many movies that <laughs> star women as the like protagonist who is driving the narrative. So I was like, I want to make sure sh- I want to like make sure I'm doing that in my own writing. 
And then obviously, uh, since starting the Bechtel cast, I was like, oh, this is basically all I want to write now. Uh, and then, yeah, in my classes too, I have a whole section on the like character development chunk of uh, my curriculum to um, just instruction on how to be mindful about representation, how to be mindful about developing your characters, um, making sure that you're doing things respectfully and responsibly, responsibly. And uh, yeah, I, I make sure that that's uh, instruction that my students get. Mm. Yeah, I think it's important to kind of examine your own unconscious bias and looking mm-hmm. at old work is a great way to do that. I've, I've had a similar experience. Yeah. So, so what is kind of the main thing that you teach then with regards to writing about a character that's from a different cultural background to you and, you know, doing it respectfully? Yeah, I mean, it's a few different, uh, there are a few different like approaches I think that people can take depending on what the story is and what the events of the story are. Um, on one hand, you it's kind of your responsibility to do adequate research and um, you can, you know, base your character off an existing person, someone you know well, someone that you're friends with. Um, if it's, you know, depending on what the story is, if you need to do a lot of research about a particular culture, um, that's obviously an important thing to do. Uh, you can ask people uh, from the backgrounds and like kind of the, you know, cultural backgrounds that you're um, writing characters that, you know, share those backgrounds. You can um, basically have people give you notes on how you've represented those characters slash that culture. And you want to make sure you pay those people (laughs) for their time and effort and perspective um, and then it's also a matter of like knowing your limits where, uh, it's probably, I use the movie Tangerine as an example, um, a movie about black trans sex workers that was made by a cis white man who doesn't have any <laughs> sex work experience to my knowledge. Um, the movie is still enjoyable and I like it and he did a, a good enough job that it's like not like horrible <laughs> representation. But I'm also just like, were you the right person to make this movie, sir? Probably not. Um, so it's a matter of like knowing your limits and knowing like, I, am I the right person to tell this story or to tell this person's story? And um, if you're not like don't attempt something that you really can't speak to or uh, don't have enough knowledge or experience or perspective on and, you know, stick with, stick with what you know. Obviously that's the famous writing advice, write what you know. Um, But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't also make an effort to uh, be inclusive, (laughs) obviously. Um, And then there are some, there's another approach where, you you write a character or all of your characters as if they look exactly like you and have the exact same background as you basically so that you're not bringing any unconscious bias into any particular character 
Um, and then you go back and like write in your character description of those characters, um, identifying them as, you know, whatever specific ethnicity or, you know, if they are non-binary, if they are from a different country, you know, things like that. So you're, you're basically developing them with the care that you would give someone who resembled you, but uh, not bringing any of those biases into that character. But you also need to be careful with that because sometimes you'll see that done and it's clear that uh, um, a character, like a, a certain actor was cast and then depending on what happens in the movie, or in the story, um, some, something will happen and then it's like, oh, uh, this character being of like a certain race, for example, that's probably not how they would react in that situation. Uh, here's an example, like if your characters like get pulled over by a racist co cop, obviously that's going to be a very different experience for a white, a white person than a black person. So you, you wanna make sure that with your kind of like, quote unquote, colorblind character development, you're still, um, the events of your story are still like lining up with what would happen in real life or like those representations still track based on uh, the different um, backgrounds of your characters. So it's definitely tricky. <laughs> and I don't know if any of what I just said made any sense, but, it's a lot of just like being hyper, hyper aware of what you're doing. And if you have a, like, a, a, if you have a certain perspective and you, and you know that you have kind of like blind spots there, you want to make sure that like those are being filled in by people who do have that perspective and just like covering your bases the end of that enormous monologue <laughs> no, that's great advice I mean I guess a lot of it comes uh into the the editing process doesn't it because you kind of want to write that first draft just in you know in the flow and then mm -hmm. make those adjustments as you edit and as you get other people to read it and you know mm -hmm. get perspectives from from other people um and then even like, let's say you're lucky enough to like, you've, you've written several drafts, you've sold your script and it's going into production and it's being cast. Even in, after the movie's been cast, you want to go back and make sure, and this is depending on, you know, how, how the deal went down. This might be your job as a writer. It might be someone else's job, but you like people in Hollywood uh, or in the industry in general need to make sure that they are going back through the script and saying, okay, this actor was cast to play this character. Do things still track based on like, again, the events of the story, the dialogue that that character is delivering, things like that. So it's like a constant process of like making sure things still scan um, even into the like production process. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm I'm pretty sure the the second method you talked about is is what happened with Alien. I think it was it was an all male mm -hmm. cast, and then Ripley was turned into a woman. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I guess that's an example of that being kind of successful. Right. Exactly. Because you don't watch that because that's a movie from the late '70s. 
and um no i like it's it was kind of unheard of for uh, a woman to be cast in as the lead of like a sci-fi movie although it's arguably also it's also a horror movie and that's not uncommon for like a woman to be the lead of that because she has to be the final girl right <laughs> so um although that trope wasn't really much of a thing at that point in fact it was maybe one of the first movies to sort of do that because that was also right when like Halloween was coming out and then a couple years later uh, other slasher movies followed suit and that's really where that like final girl trope was born so uh what was I even saying right so Alien um it it's a great example of uh, a movie where you just basically write characters and make sure each of them is uh solidly developed and then in the casting process um, you can make choices that you're wherein you're not only cla- ca- casting like cishet white men. Um, sometimes you cast cishet white women. Very uh, <laughs> um, um, <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, and and it works. And and Ripley feels like a a character with like full development and like you know just a multi-dimensional character because she was originally developed as a male character so it's it's kind of sad that that's (laughs) how that has to be or that that's how it was um several decades ago but uh it did it did work in the movie's favor yeah i guess um that brings me to the next question quite well which is why is it that male screenwriters so often approach writing women as if they're another species (laughs) (laughs) I have a few theories Um, some men are just raging misogynists (laughs) who you know see women a certain way uh, and as like objects of sexual desire or as you know weak fragile people who need to be saved or as people who are not particularly smart or capable. And that's just how they they write women to reflect those prejudices and biases. Um, other writers aren't, you know, raging misogynists. Uh, but what tends to happen is that basically, like, tropes beget more tropes. Where if a screenwriter is, like, you know, analyzing other movies and trying to figure out, okay, this is how you write a movie... Um, and this is how women are written in movies, well, that just must be how you write women. This is how you write a screenplay. So they're seeing other tropes, they're incorporating them into their own movies, um, and it just becomes this sort of like endless cycle of terrible representation. And that spans, you know, not just across gender, but also race and sexuality and... Uh, ability and class and things like that so that's where you get all these like really harmful tropes that have been perpetuated over the years um so yeah those are my two main theories where it's either just like misogynist men writing women and then other people who are maybe not so actively misogynist but they are (laughs) like you know studying movies written by misogynists and then just kind of not knowing any better besides to perpetuate those tropes. So 
That's my guess. So is, is there a standard kind of structure or formula that you teach for, for screen, screenplays in your class? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I teach 3X structure, um, which if anyone's not familiar, is really just a fancy way of saying a story has a beginning, middle, and end. Um, but there are also basic plot points that generally need to happen in certain spots within each act so that you are telling a cohesive and cinematic story. Um, and each plot point generally serves a specific function within the larger narrative. So boiled down very simply, yes, it's just like act one is the beginning, act two is the middle, act three is the end. But I make sure to talk about like the, the you know, things that generally need to happen within each act and the functions they serve uh, in the larger story and things like that. And then in my more advanced levels of my class, because I teach, um, four levels of screenwriting classes. The first one is just an introductory class where, uh, I lecture a lot and everyone learns the basics. And then you write a, um, a treatment for a f an original feature film that each student, um, conceives of and, and develops and, and writes the treatment for. Um, and then the next three levels of my class are the students developing, writing, and workshopping their feature-length screenplay one act at a time. So the level two class, you're writing act one. The level three class, you're writing act two. The level four class, you're writing act three. I really wish I could figure out a way to make it so that like level one equals act one, <laughs> level two equals act two, because it's confusing. I'm like, oh yeah, you're in my level three class. So you're writing act two. Um, anyway, so in my, in my more advanced levels, I teach something called eight sequence structure, um, which is not different from three X structure. It's basically just what three X structure looks like under a magnifying glass. So um, I dive into that sort of structural approach to writing a feature-length screenplay. And uh, yeah, that's kind of just the basic um, story structure I teach. And then I also obviously go into many other aspects of developing a story, such as characterization, world building, theme, tone. Uh, I talk about things like um, different like storytelling devices and mechanics and, um, you know, plant and payoff and flashbacks and montages and twists and uh, MacGuffins and all those kinds of fun things. I also teach um, screenwriting format, which is th the format you use to actually like write a screenplay in terms of like formatting, like where the dialogue goes on the page and how to actually like write um, a page of a screenplay kind of thing. So I cover all of those things in my classes. Yeah, it's kind of like building a machine, isn't it? A big 
huge machine with lots of moving parts. Truly, <laughs> so many moving parts. And and I always tell my students, like, yeah, it's it's hard. It's so hard. <laughs> like, this is not easy. There are so many things to be managing when you're writing a story. There's so much to keep track of. There's, it's a real, it's no small or easy feat to develop and write a feature screenplay. So anyone who's doing it, give yourself a pat on the back. <laughs> well done, you. <laughs> yes. So do you think, would you say that a good screenplay starts from really good characters or is it more about the idea and the, and the structure? There are different schools of thought on this and it really depends on what type of story you're writing. Um, obviously, both things are very important. A more um, plot-driven story, which is what I tend to write. I, I love a good like hero's journey with like a very specific and tangible and external goal that the characters are after um, and kind of the journey that they go on along the way. That's the type of story that I lean toward in my own writing. And it tends to be slightly easier to teach, especially if you're like teaching through X structure. So that's what I, those are like the types of movies that I use as examples in my classes. And that's what like probably like, I don't know, 80% of, 80 to 90% of, especially like mainstream um, movies tend to be, uh, I'm kind of pulling that number out of <laughs> nowhere, but uh, it, it, that's my, I feel like that's a pretty good estimate. Um, and then there are also uh, very compelling character-driven stories where there's no like specific goal that the characters are on per se the story more derives from the arc that a character has or some like internal struggle that they are dealing with and obviously for those you really want to spend a lot of time developing your characters and and making sure that they're compelling and and uh motivated and that they have uh, many dimensions to their character but you also want to apply that same amount of character development to a more plot-driven story because if you have a great idea um it's hard to execute if your characters are are very like stock one-dimensional you know poorly developed um so both things are very important for me specifically though i usually come up with an idea first like a a premise and then I figure out, okay, what characters would best serve this story and then sort of develop them accordingly. Mm. Yeah, it kind of all branches out, doesn't it, from, mm -hmm. from that central idea. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the most common mistakes that your new screenwriters make, you know, or, or just, <laughs> you know, in movies that get made? <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah, I've, I've, from all of the scripts I've read when I was like a story analyst, which is again, something I was doing like as an unpaid internship for the longest time. And these days I have, uh, I, I do that now for like, um, individual writers. So when you're like a, a development person or, you know, like a, a script reader, you write notes, but those notes are seen by, you know, the production company or, uh, you know, the screenplay competition judges, but usually not by the writers themselves. So I was like, oh, I should start writing notes that are actually for the writers so they can figure out how to make improvements or they can know what's already working with their, uh, you know, with their story. 
so within the past few years, I started writing like notes for writers. So if anyone wants my script notes, uh, hit me up. <laughs> but but um, this is all to say that um, for all of the scripts I've read in different capacities, I've read a lot of ones that were not very well written. <laughs> and of course that's subjective, but like, you know, a, there are certain things where it's like, oh, I can tell this is, was done effectively or not. And the things that I came up upon or came upon most frequently, I would say, are writers not really understanding structure and specifically not really understanding the function of the different like stru structural pieces of a story that they like need to make sure there's a good amount of exposition before the story is set in motion so that you can be connected to the characters and care about them uh, before you know their world is turned upside down um, things like that um, I see a lot of just uh, underdeveloped characters in general um, people not putting enough time or care into character development um, something I see a lot is, um, like not enough tension being like built up and sustained throughout a story. And this comes from different things like, um, characters will overcome obstacles too easily or, uh, something will happen or like a change will occur or a turning point will happen in a story that doesn't feel earned. Um, so that usually lends itself to kind of a, a failure to build up tension, which is something that like you really, really need <laughs> in a story. Um, uh, I see different things like, um, you know, plot points or characters or exchanges of dialogues that aren't serving a specific function in the narrative and could just be like removed. Or if there are like two characters who are serving the same function, they can be folded into each other, but a lot of writers will just like have kind of too many characters or just like, again, things that aren't really serving much of a function. Um, so it's either like get rid of those things or find a function for those things. Um, I'll see uh, pacing that's too fast or too lagging. Um, I'll see like inconsistent tone, you know, I'll see, um, theme that's not super clear, kind of muddled, things like that. Um, but it's also all like, I understand that like people do these things as writers. Cause it's like, again, it's writing is so hard and crafting a complex <laughs> feature film is so hard that like you're bound to get some of this stuff not quite right especially on your first draft like first drafts are always like a mess um so it's just a matter of rewriting and getting notes from people who will give you constructive feedback and just keep chipping away at it yeah and keep editing i guess just you know oh yeah keep keep at it i think is mm -hmm. important um so you mentioned that you there were a couple of screenplays that you kind of study or use as examples in your, in your mm -hmm. courses. So, so what are those? So um, Paddington 2, and I'm not even joking. Uh, <laughs> it's a terrific movie. It's a terrific screenplay. And I use it because it employs so many things that you might need, that you would like 
come across as a as a screenwriter learning different like again storytelling devices and mechanics and stuff like that because there's so much plant and payoff there's use of voiceover there's use of flashbacks there's use of dream sequences there's um just uh multiple storylines that need to intersect at some point there are um a number of characters that you have to like manage and and develop and um there's a just perfect three-act structure just like everything about it is (laughs) flawless um i would say the same applies to spider-man into the spider-verse that's a, a script i teach from a lot there's um also just like great dialogue in these scripts uh, another one i teach from a lot is um get out uh i use thelma and louise as an example a lot that's a, a movie that is like just a perfect example of um heightening in a movie and like building that tension more and more and things heightening and stakes heightening as the story goes on um Shaun of the Dead is a is a great example of a script that um, uses foreshadowing, uses plant and payoff, uses motif, uses uh, a bunch of other cool little like screenwriting tricks. Um, little Miss Sunshine, I teach a lot from. Um, those are kind of the main ones. Legally Blonde, a few others here and there, but. Uh, those are ones I kind of go to, especially because I want to so many screenwriting classes that I've taken or just like textbooks that I've read for, you know, film classes are referring to movies from decades and decades and decades ago. And I'm like, okay, that's great and everything. And it's important to like know about those movies and stuff, but I'm not writing a movie from 1945. I'm writing a movie from 2022. So I need to know what like how scripts are being written in the modern era. So I try to use like um, just movies uh, that are from the past decade or, you know, some are, you know, again, like Thelma and Louise is from the early nineties. Shaun of the Dead is from the mid two thousands, but as much as I can, I'm, I'm using examples from movies that are uh, pretty current. Cause that's the movie. Also, that's just like the movies that are, marketable right now and um the the better you understand like the types of stories that are marketable and yeah just kind of like the modern way of telling stories the the better chance of success yes (laughs) that of course motto (laughs) yes yeah so do, do you think what's marketable has has changed in in recent years i do and I am seeing trends towards like kind of more inclusive storytelling and um, filmmakers from marginalized backgrounds being given more opportunities uh, and um, having more chances to tell their stories and uh, that becoming, and we're not all the way there. Like things aren't perfect yet. And, they may not even be good, but they're getting better. Um, and that's encouraging, even if <laughs> the that's only happening because like the studio executives who are in charge are like, oh, well, I guess there is an untapped market here and we can make money from inclusive stories 
rather than like the 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 motive just being like oh it's important like representation and inclusivity is just important so we should just be telling those stories there's still a lot of like capitalist um motivations be behind a lot of this but uh the good news is that we are gearing more toward um stories that have like meaningful inclusion and representation um so i am you know we are seeing those trends and uh that is very encouraging Mm, to me yeah i really hope it continues i hope it's not just a passing phase (laughs) i hope not and um you know we we are we are chipping away (laughs) at it to continue to use this metaphor but uh yeah i think it's just we gotta we gotta stay strong we gotta keep keep trucking along yeah keep doing the work yeah and teaching these new new lessons to the next screenwriters yeah everyone take my class (laughs) (laughs) so i noticed in the movies that you listed there was no titanic that just oh that's because titanic is a as a as a terrible screenplay and i like (laughs) (laughs) and i love the movie obviously but like the dialogue is not very good the james cameron style of writing is very he like overwrites every scene he writes so one of the things about screenwriting is that you want to write with efficiency and economy. So if you're writing a novel, for example, you can get, you can take a lot of liberties with like getting very flowery with your descriptions and, you know, just kind of having, uh, you know, your language can be very um, verbose and and things like that. With a screenplay, you uh, only have so much like, time to get your story told so you want to make sure that also because uh you're the writer but there are a bunch of other people um who will be making your movie hopefully um who will do a lot of the work in terms of like communicating things visually so you don't have to spend pages and pages like describing a character's costume for example you just say like they're wearing a dress that's blah 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 like you know three or four descriptors and only if that's important to the narrative if we don't really if unless like the dress comes back and like ha- like it pays off in some way you don't really need to spend much time describing most things because there are like costume designers and production designers and set designers for those things so as a screenwriter your job is to just as economically and efficiently as you can tell your story and i forget why i even started talking about this (laughs) because of titanic (laughs) because right yes because of titanic thank you so much so james cameron spends every scene he writes just like saying too much and like not efficiently writing his scenes to the point where uh my podcast co-host and i did a live reading of the titanic screenplay for like a fundraiser thing (laughs) and the screenplay like the movie is too long um and i trimmed it down Uh, i basically rewrote the screenplay um (laughs) trimmed out like 80 pages or something like that and it was still too long um but i basically just took like 
so much filler that James Cameron had written into the script and just like, I was like, this doesn't need to be there. We don't need this. We don't need this. And I just like wrote a, a much slimmer version of the <laughs> screenplay for Titanic. And uh, yes, so that is why I don't teach Titanic in my classes because it is actually not a good example of a well-written screenplay. <laughs> so why is it so enjoyable to watch then? Is it just a case oh. of so bad that it's good? <laughs> it's, I mean, and this isn't to say that like the screenplay is bad. It's just, he makes just a lot of like stylistic choices that I wouldn't make as a writer. He, cause like when you read the screenplay, you're like, oh, this is basically the movie. He just does it in way too many words. Is it over-described as well? Like his stage directions mm. and that stuff? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've I've watched his uh, his masterclass. I don't know if you've ever watched that. I haven't. No, what's it like? It's good. I mean, he's he strikes me as a very obsessive guy. So maybe he just gets so deep into the details of things that he just wants to describe it all in so much detail. Well, he does this thing. So in my quest to find different like treatments and outlines that are like accessible online for my students to read so that they can know like, oh, this is what a, a, a well-written treatment looks like. This is what, um, you know, an effective outline looks like. They're pretty hard to find. Um, but what I have found a lot of are, I think they're called scriptments. And James Cameron seems to be the only person who does this, where he basically writes a treatment that is, ha well, it's like, a hybrid between a screenplay and a treatment. So the idea behind a treatment is it's there's no like set length for them, but they're generally somewhere maybe between like five to 20 pages. And it's just a detailed synopsis of your story. Um, he does that, but then he also basically writes half of the screenplay into his treatment. <laughs> so he, you'll find these like scriptments of his that are like 80 to 100 pages long and it's like well you might as well have just written the screenplay because that's about how long a screenplay is so I don't know what he's doing but he just really he's very enthusiastic I think when it comes to developing his stories he just gets so immersed in the world <laughs> and the characters that yeah. he just lives in Which the world good. <laughs> that's a good thing to be as a writer but you also want to be concise and <laughs> it's the balance <laughs> exactly um, so, uh, I mean, are there, are there screenwriters either working now or from, you know, from your experience that have really inspired you to, to pursue, you know, what you pursue? Ooh, hmm. Uh, I'm sure there are. I, this is, I hate to admit this, but there are so many movies that I love that I'm like, I don't know who wrote the screenplay for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the, I, so I can answer your question as far as like movies that have been like, oh, I want to write something like this someday. Um, and those are a few that I've already mentioned as like kind of my go-to uh, examples that I teach in my classes. Um, also uh, a movie like Back to the Future which is it's got it's got some problematic elements there's no denying that but it's also a great screenplay and a fun romp and <laughs> never let it go um and <laughs> that's one that I can't let go either I know it's I problematic know. but I just love it so much <laughs> it's fun 
And so as far as it just being like a fun time travel comedy, like the, I would love to write something like that. Um, I would love to write something like Jurassic Park. Um, although I don't want to, <laughs> I mean, Michael Crichton is scary or was he died, right? I don't remember. I think so, yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to really emulate him in any way, but... Um, why is he scary? I don't really know anything about him. Oh, I forget what it was. He, at some point, like, got really anti-science in his life, uh, which is weird because he was writing mostly sci-fi stuff. But uh, don't quote me on this. I have a horrible memory. But he was just, he kind of, like, went off the rails in, like, a scary way. But I don't remember a lot of specifics. It's so hard. There's so many ugh, bad people out there. It's really hard to keep track. I was like, every time I'm like, oh, I like this actor. Wait, do I? Or did they get me tooed? Or like, are they actually horrible? Like, I never, it's. Yeah. Do they have a controversy section on their Wikipedia page? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's, uh, it's a constant struggle of keeping straight, like, who I like and who I now have to hate. <laughs> yeah, it's hard as well, isn't it, when you love these movies and then you find out find out things that you you know. Yeah, I, and and that's like so much of the podcast. I'm like, crap. Can I still like the Fifth Element? Can I still like Indiana Jones? You know, things like that. Um, struggle. The struggle is it's there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of Generally, I just want to write comedic romps with a good, like, moral center or, like, something meaningful to say, some, like, commentary provided or just, like, even if it's just, like, hey, women can also do things. See? <laughs> That's the message. That's the theme. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, comedy is a great way to to address all kinds of issues um mm -hmm, and I don't totally. think there's enough of that really now in in cinema enough like fun comedic romps that also have something to say I agree I I quite liked um Don't Look Up which I feel like is a good example of like a mo like a very recent um you know tonally comedic uh story like satire uh, about um, you know open to interpretation it you could very easily map the, the COVID-19 pandemic onto the movie I think it was probably originally written as a um, uh, climate change slash global warming allegory but uh, it uses humor and there's a lot of you know social commentary and it was pretty fun so does your background in, in stand-up comedy kind of help factor into your screenwriting process? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I, I've tried to write other... I've tried to write um, non-comedy <laughs> drama, I guess, uh, and I just can't do it. I'm no good at it, and I everything ends up having a comedic tone with what I write. You, you need the balance between the two, don't you? Otherwise... Mm -hmm you're just taking yourself too seriously and I I was that's a fear mm. in my own writing is that I'm just taking myself way too seriously and need to lighten up <laughs> we could all stand to lighten up you know okay well I don't <laughs> want to keep you too long but I, I guess we'll just end on something I ask all of the guests which is 
what's the one thing that you or the one piece of advice that you would want to impart to someone just starting out I guess you know you've worked in lots of different areas so that could be mm-hmm. in screenwriting or in comedy or in podcasting even what's, what's the one thing is there one one size fits all piece of advice or <laughs> something that applies to all of those things is just consume if if you're you know trying to write screenplays or if you're trying to get into stand-up comedy or wanting to start a podcast um put in the work as far as like consuming a lot of different types of those things so if you want to so i'll use like screenwriting as an example read a bunch of screenplays um take a take a class in screenwriting it's it's not something you it's not impossible to teach it to yourself but you'll probably have it'll probably speed up the process of learning uh to actually like take a class and and get some instruction um you know uh practice applies to all these things um the more you write the better you'll get at it also especially for like screenwriting it can be a very daunting thing to just like be like oh i have to write a 90 to 120 page screenplay that sounds impossible um so just like start small start on a small scale maybe start with a short film that you write you know a five page short film or just like practice writing short scenes or just like little exchanges of dialogue and then just kind of keep working your way up and building and developing out a story. Um, yeah. So don't, uh, cause I do this too. I'm just like, Oh, I need to start writing a, an enormously intricate <laughs> story right now. Uh, and again, that's daunting. So, um, ease yourself into it you know, little by little, and um, just go easy on yourself. That's my final bit of advice. Uh, Just be kind. Be kind to yourself and others. (laughs) That's nice. Well, that's a nice place to end. insightful interview well done yes and sorry to james cameron if we offended you (laughs) (laughs) caramel jam cam we we do enjoy his work don't we Uh, (laughs) we do we're just watching his master class for the second time at the moment Mm. which is great it is great it's so good he's uh, he's he's an interesting guy for sure (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a guy, man. Like Terminator. It's just amazing. Aliens. Aliens. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And thank you again to Caitlin. Uh, There are links in the description if you want to follow her work. And yeah, make sure to listen to the Bechdel cast because it's awesome and hilarious and fun. Yeah, it's a great show and uh, an important one as well. 
right. very important. Yeah. yeah, it goes goes pretty deep. Um, um, they're on uh, Patreon as well, as are we. Nice lead-in. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you can support us on there and we'll be putting out some new episodes um, where we're going to just share some of our work and talk about how we created it in, in a bit more kind of detail. So if you're as interested in the creative process as we are, then it's the place to be. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun creating content and we thought this would be a good uh, way to go. I'm going to be featuring one of my tracks and then I'm going to talk, we're going to play the track and then I'm going to talk about how I created it and what my process was and how I came to the story and uh, you know the, just all the juicy details and then Jade you're going to be reading uh, uh, something you've written and yeah some some short fiction and then just kind of going into you know where the idea came from and then how I executed it um, so yeah hopefully some useful stuff in there that you can take away exactly and um, you know, we're really up for, for from hearing from you, so we're really, really open to your suggestions um, on Patreon. So, you know, you've got a suggestion for an episode, or you would like to know more about a subject, um, then you can communicate directly to us on the platform, and then we will make a mini episode based around the subject that you have uh, chosen. Mm. Can be on anything you like as serious or as silly as you see fit we yeah. will do it <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's a great way to communicate with you guys and uh, with you friends <laughs> guys again uh, <laughs> um, and uh, you know it's just a, a, a loop like that we can feed back to each other and yeah build. a community yeah 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 so come and join us indeed 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 and thank you for listening again yeah, thanks, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We really, really appreciate you taking the time and being here, you know? It makes this whole thing happen, so. Yeah, sending love. Yes, namaste. <laughs> <laughs>